You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. Amen. Well, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, So glad that you're with us here tonight for our third service. Thankful that we are able to do this and gather together in this way and open up God's Word together. Um, My name is Brett Patterson, and I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Harvest Niagara. And I'd like to invite you just to take your Bibles and open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're going to look at really two verses in this passage tonight and just draw out three truths for us. Um, We're going to talk through a lot of John chapter 1 in one way or another, but really two verses are going to be the main focus. But as you're turning there, I just consider this past year that we have walked through. Wow, what a year of surprises, isn't it? What a year of change. What a year of everything in society that could be shaken was being shaken. Anything that could be shifted was being shifted. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that we can come here tonight and we can look past everything that is changing and shifting all around us, and we can look to one who doesn't change. We can look to one who doesn't shift. There is no shadow. We can look to the one who is firm and fixed, a rock and a refuge for us in our day, and we can look to the truths of God's Word, which are the same today, yesterday, and forever. We can praise God for that. And so John chapter 1, we're going to take a look at verse 14, 14 down to 18. Let me just read those verses for us. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who, comes be, uh, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's right side, or who is at the Father's side has made him known. What an amazing passage for us here with with awesome truths about the person and the work of Jesus Christ in it. But as we dive into what we're going to look at tonight, I just want you to keep in mind that this passage right here is really a picture of Jesus's lineage. Now, not his physical lineage, but his spiritual lineage. Jesus is pictured here in John's gospel, not primarily as the man, Jesus Christ, but as the God-man, Jesus Christ. John goes out of his way over and over again throughout his gospel to show us very clearly that Jesus Christ is not just a God-like man, but in fact, he is the God-man who has stepped down out of eternity and down into human history. The first thing that we need to see in this passage in these verses right in front of us is, is this, Point number one tonight, the invisible God became visible to us. The invisible God became visible to us. We see that right here in the beginning of John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh. And the Word became flesh, John writes. 
Now, John here reaching out to kind of both sides of his audience as he writes this book, reaching out to the Jews that would be reading this, those that would be very, very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, reaching out to them, he says right back in verse 1, just look back there for a moment, in the beginning was the word. He writes, in the beginning was the word, knowing that the phrase in the beginning would be very familiar to his Jewish audience. They would recognize that as being the very first words of the book of Genesis. But in the book of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John goes one step beyond that here, and he says, in the beginning, let's step back beyond creation. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. John reaches out to those familiar with the Scriptures. And he reaches out in a way that they could understand. But he also reaches out here in verse 14 to the Greek side of his audience. And he, he uses this, this term. Uh, it says word in the English Bible, in most of our Bibles. Uh, the, the word logos. He reaches out to them and he says, and the logos became flesh. And the, this term logos is you know, kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around. We maybe don't think in this way exactly, but the, the logos, the, the word, the message, the divine message had captivated Greek minds for approximately a hundred years. The greatest philosophers took time to just write at length and talk at length about this divine logic that was there in the universe. They would talk about how the seasons were ordered. They would talk about the sun, moon, and stars. They would talk about how the tides were ordered. And their belief was that there was this divine reason, this divine logic controlling the universe. Now, the Greeks believed that this was very impersonal. It was very distant. John breaks through all of that to his Greek audience here, and he says, no, no, no. It's not distant. It's not far off. It's not a divine logic. It's not just a divine design that is intangible and inaccessible. In fact, this divine logic, this logos, the word, has stepped down out of eternity into human history. The God of the ages has stepped down to walk among us. And this is really what John is going after right here in this passage. And this is really the inexhaustible beauty of the incarnation, isn't it? That the God who created all things, the God who spoke into nothingness and created everything through the word of his power, stepped down to walk among us. That's the beauty of the incarnation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him. But not only did He make all things, but He sustains all things. And not only is He the power that keeps the stars in their courses, not only is He the one who controls the phases of the moon, controls the seasons, not only those things, yes, all of that is true, but He is the God who loves you and loves me. He is the God who loves us enough to step down out of eternity, to step down into our lives, 
to show us His mercy, to show us His grace. Now, to most of us, this is very, very familiar. If we have grown up in church, we have heard this several times before, over and over again. In some ways, it can kind of become like, you know, last year's Christmas present. Hand up if you remember what you got for Christmas last year. Yeah, that's what I thought, okay? Um, One of my sons who was at the first service reminded me, Daddy, I remember what I got for Christmas last year. It was a big fire station. I still like it, he said. Now, that's rare. I typically don't remember. You know, last year's Christmas presents, last year's Christmas present. We're looking forward to the new thing. It becomes kind of old over time. Don't let that happen with this truth about the incarnation. Don't let that happen in your heart tonight. Invite the Lord even right now, just as you sit here, as, as we dive in to who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done, as we dive into that, invite the Lord just to bring a new freshness into your heart, a new joy for the incarnation, a new joy for the fact that the God of all ages, the one that is holy, perfect, pure, was willing to step down to this earth, to walk among us, to live among us, and to bring salvation to us. Just consider that for a moment. Just consider what I just said right there. The one, the one who made all things stepped down into his creation, not to rule over it, but to redeem it. The God who is holy, who is perfect, who is pure, who is glorious, who is transcendent, who is full of majesty and splendor, comes to dwell with his people who are sinful, who are impure, who are weak, and who are mundane. That's an incredible mystery, isn't it? Wow. I can't wrap my mind fully around that. But what a beautiful truth we have in Scripture. And the Lord didn't just step down to come by for, you know, a little visit, like a little, you know, COVID visit, like one of those ones that we're probably going to be doing in a few weeks where you drive past a friend or a neighbor's house and roll the window down and go like this to them, and they're like, oh, I think I know who that was. It's not like that, okay? No, he came down to dwell among us. This is amazing. Take a look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt right there actually means to set up his tent. Literally speaking, in the Greek, it means that Jesus Christ came into our backyard and set up his tent to live beside us. The God of all eternity marched down into our backyard to set up his tent and live among us. Wow, that is incredible. Wow, that is amazing. That should really blow our mind. That should be, in one sense, incomprehensible for us. Being fully God, you know, he could have come down built the world's greatest palace, demanded our loyalty, ruled over us as a dictator, but he didn't. Instead, he came down into human history, and he came to live among us, to sympathize with our weakness, to bear our burdens, to suffer as one of us, and ultimately then to suffer in our place. In the past, in the Old Testament, You know, God's presence was always revealed and always shown through the tabernacle and through the temple, but not so in the New Testament. In the New Testament, 
The, the tabernacle and the temple are basically off the table. In the New Testament, it's not this outward building. In the New Testament, it's the person of Jesus Christ. It's not the outward building that marks God's presence and God's greatness and God's glory. It is the person of Jesus Christ that fully displays who God is. It's Jesus Christ that brings the invisible into view. This is the beauty of the incarnation. The second thing right here, in Jesus we see the fullness of God's glory. In Jesus, we see not just a little glimpse of God's glory. In Jesus, we don't just catch a glimpse of someone who is like God in some ways. In Jesus Christ, we see the fullness of the glory of God on display for us to rejoice in and delight in to make much of. Notice what it says right here in this passage. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's an awesome verse. As we read that, we hear this word glory repeated several times. And I don't know about you, but, you know, attending this church for a number of years, I, I, I find it even hard to think about a, a service that I've been to where we didn't hear something about God's glory, whether in a song or in a prayer or in the sermon. You know, there's, there's always something, but very rarely do we stop and really talk about what God's glory is specifically. But I think that's helpful to do because sometimes in our minds we can kind of, you know, have this vague picture of the glory of God as this big, great thing that we just really can't quite get our minds around. It's just really distant for us. So what is the glory of God? I love how one pastor described the glory of God. He said that the glory of God is God's beauty, is the beauty of God's character put on display for the entire world to see. He went on to say that it's the sum total of his attributes displayed so that we could rejoice in them. The glory of God. The, one, the way that I really like to think about the glory of God and try to think about the glory of God is not so much just as one great big giant thing that I can't get my mind around, but I love to look in Scripture and see the specific individual glories of God. You know, those things that as you open your Bible and you read it, you're, it just makes your heart sing. It just makes you rejoice. You're like, wow. It just makes you stand in awe. There's one here in this text, an incredible glory of God found in Jesus Christ, but there's many other glories uh, of Jesus Christ found in the New Testament. I love the way that Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 talks about Jesus and it says this of Jesus. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow, isn't there a lot of glories right there in that verse? Just look at that. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus Christ, says the author of Hebrews, is the shining brightness of all of the goodness of God. He is all of that. And he says he is the exact imprint of his nature that when you look at Jesus Christ, you see exactly what the Father is like. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Just try to wrap your mind around that for a moment. Jesus Christ, the one who, who brought the universe into existence, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus Christ, the baby lying in the manger, while he's in that manger, is giving motion to all the stars, is holding up 
Every planet is holding up our own planet. Wow. I can't get my head around that fully at all. That's amazing. That's incredible. Beautiful. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Listen to what it says. It says, For the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In each of these verses, we see many of the specific glories of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus is like. But right here in John's gospel, in verse 14, John points us to one very specific glory. One glory that seemed to capture his attention as an apostle more than any of the other glories of Jesus Christ. Now, consider that for a moment. Think about all of the incredible glories that John saw as he walked with Jesus for those three years. John was with Jesus when he gave sight to a blind man. John was with Jesus when he healed a leper. John was with Jesus even on the Mount of Transfiguration when the glory of God was there in the face of Jesus. John was with Jesus when he raised the dead. John was with Jesus when he cast out demons. John saw all of these glories, and if you were to ask John, what is the one glory that that summarizes who this person, Jesus Christ, is? What is the one glory that summarizes that best? Here's what John says. He says this, he is full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. John says, out of all of the glories, out of all of the most incredible things that I saw Jesus do, out of all of the wonderful things that he is, the greatest of all of these that summarizes everything is the fact that he is absolutely full of grace and truth. Now just think about that for a minute. Isn't that incredible? Think about your own life right now. How often are you filled with grace and truth? You know, equal proportion, fully gracious, yet fully truthful, all at the same time. Not me. (laughs) I'm like a pendulum. I'm over here. I'm over there. I'm kind of back and forth, and hopefully there's a bit of grace and some truth and maybe a little bit of a blend on a good day. But that's not even what it's saying about Jesus here. This passage isn't saying that Jesus was a blend of grace and truth. It doesn't say that. It's not saying that Jesus was a very balanced person who displayed the attributes of grace and truth. Notice what it says. It says that he was full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth, equal measure, fully full of grace, yet fully full simultaneously of truth. (laughs) Can you wrap your mind around that? I can't. That should be like trying to wrap your mind around the Trinity. You just can't quite grasp everything that there is to be grasped there. He's full of grace and truth. This is the greatest quality of Jesus Christ. And the reason that it's the greatest quality that we see here in Scripture about who Jesus Christ is is because in these words, full of grace and truth, the Apostle John is pointing us back again to the Old Testament, pointing us back to the phrase that is most often used to describe one of God's greatest attributes. In the Old Testament, we read so much of God's love, of his covenant love, of his steadfast love for his people. And the word that we read most often about this love that is so unique to God is the Hebrew word hesed, hesed. And this 
has said love really refers to a steadfast and faithful love. It's a steadfast and faithful love. And when John says of Jesus that Jesus is full of grace and truth, he's saying in Greek what is equivalent to the Hebrew, he is full of hesed. He's full of steadfastness. He's full of faithful love. This is who he is. This is the picture of the glory of Jesus Christ that reveals the glory of God the Father to us. He's saying that when we look at Jesus Christ through faith, when we read the Word of God and we read about who Jesus Christ is and we hear about what He has done, we are getting a perfect representation of who the Father is. That's the beauty of the incarnation, that Jesus Christ came to reveal the the invisible and make Him visible to us, that Jesus Christ came to dwell among us, that Jesus Christ came to display God's character to us, to display grace and truth and God's love towards us. But that's not all. If that's all that there was, we could leave here saying, huh, that's good, but it still kind of leaves me a bit stuck because we all have this problem, this sin problem in our lives. We're all guilty before a holy, perfect, pure God. But that's not all that it says. I'm so thankful that's not all that it says. Take a look down at verse 16. We were just in verse 14. Take a look down past 15, down to 16. Notice what it says in verse 16. 16 ties right back to verse 14 that tells us that he is full of grace and truth. And then verse 16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Listen, not only has Jesus come to make the invisible visible to us, not only has Jesus come to live among us, not only has Jesus come to display God's glory to us, but Jesus Christ has come to deliver God's grace to us. Jesus Christ has come to deliver God's mercy to us. I love this picture right here in verse 16. I love this verse. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The reason I love this verse is because I need a lot of grace. I need a lot of grace every single day. I don't just need, you know, a little sliver of grace. I know I do this a lot at Christmas. When you eat desserts, you get a little sliver of this and a little sliver of that so you can kind of try to taste all of the desserts. Come on, you do it too. I know you do, okay? Um, But I don't just need a little sliver. Like, I need the whole thing. I need a lot of grace every single day. And the beauty of this verse is that it doesn't just say that Jesus Christ came to deliver a little grace. It says that Jesus Christ came to deliver grace upon grace, sufficient grace, lavish grace, more grace than we could ever need, more grace than we could ever use. Listen, this is the beauty of what's here before us. This is the third thing that we need to see. Through Jesus Christ, we receive grace upon grace. Sufficient grace, sufficient for all of our need. Grace, grace to pardon and wash away every sin. Grace that will forgive every trespass. Grace that will wash every stain from our lives. Grace that will take all of our guilt and all of our shame and all of the shameful things that have been done to us and will nail them to the cross, forgiven, redeemed, restored, removed, set free. That's the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. 
That is glorious, and that is awesome, and that is not possible apart from the incarnation. This is why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus didn't just come down into this world to reveal who God is to us so that we could try to be more like Him. He came down to bring God's character and God's grace to us. So understanding that we could never be like God in ourselves, but to redeem us, to make us like Him through His gracious work in our lives. That is why Jesus Christ has come. That is why Christmas is so awesome and so amazing. But maybe you're here tonight or maybe you're watching online and maybe you're thinking, you know, this is great, this is wonderful, this is a really good thing to hear at Christmas, but, you know, it just doesn't apply to me. You know, that's awesome to hear about grace upon grace, but I've, I've just, I've done too much. I've seen too much, I've gone too far, and there's just not enough grace for me. Well, in love, I want to tell you tonight, if that's what you're thinking, you're wrong. You're wrong. Because Jesus Christ, His grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for the worst sinner. It's sufficient for the person who thinks they don't need a Savior, who thinks that they're good enough on their own. It's fully sufficient in every single way. If you will simply just trust in Christ, if you will simply look to Him through faith, confess your sin to Him, repent of it, turn and turn and embrace Him as your Lord and welcome Him into your life, you can experience that grace upon grace, that forgiveness, that renewal, that freedom, that hope that only Jesus Christ can offer you. Grace that will pardon every sin. Grace that will wash away every stain. Grace that will set you free from everything that you have ever suffered or everything you have ever walked through in your life. Listen, brothers and sisters, this is the glory of the gospel that makes Christmas what Christmas is, that makes Christmas worth celebrating. Without the incarnation, we would have no gospel. Without the incarnation, we would have no hope. Without the incarnation, we would have no good news. And without the incarnation, we would have no meaning and no purpose and no ultimate hope at eternity. But with the incarnation and with the gospel, we can say with the apostles, we have seen his glory and he is full of grace and truth. And from the fullness of his grace and truth, I have received grace upon grace. That is an awesome truth. That's the truth we cling to this Christmas. That in Jesus Christ, all who will believe receive grace upon grace. The invisible God becomes visible to display His glory to all of creation and deliver His grace to all of humanity. That's the beauty of Christmas. The invisible God becomes visible. He dwells among us to display His glory to all of creation and deliver His grace, His lavish grace to all of humanity. The only question that we're really left with now is, what will we do? What will you do with His grace this Christmas? What will you do with it this Christmas? What difference will it make in your life? What difference will it make tomorrow on Christmas Day with your family? What difference will it make when you're around others? What difference will it make when you're at home and you're alone? What difference will the grace of Jesus Christ make in your life? 
as we close, I'd just like to read a short poem that summarizes what we've heard today. Just a short poem called, We Have Seen His Glory. The words won't be up on the screen. I'll read it slowly for us. Just sit in your seat and just just think about the words that are being said. I'll, I'll try to read through it slow so that you can catch everything that's here. It's just short. Let me read it to us. We have seen his glory. The word before creation, existing, ever true, stepped down to greet his people, the invisible in view. He left the realms of glory to take on human skin, to live and walk among us, to suffer for our sins. His life a living sacrifice, his death upon the tree, his body broken in my place, his record counts for me. Some doubt his existence, and some demand more proof. But we have seen his glory, he's full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, the incarnate Son of God, he will not bruise the tender reed, nor quench the smoldering rod. His mercy is for everyone who knows their desperate need, but will you turn to him this day and embrace his gracious deed? Will you claim him as your own or discard him as a fool? What will you do this Christmas day with heaven's most precious jewel? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in you right now. We exalt in you. And we proclaim how great you are. How beautiful you are. Lord, we pray that you would lead us, Lord, to rejoice in you more and more each day. That you would lead us to be more and more thankful, more and more filled with the joy and the hope of the incarnation. Lord, we just pray that we would focus our hearts on you this Christmas, that we would delight in you, Lord, and that we, we would set you apart and exalt you as holy. Lord, thank you. Thank you for all of your mercy. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for bringing us grace upon grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.